there are real consequences to controlled media. And NTD's founders know them firsthand. Our freedom of thought is the price. This is the lesson that guides us in everything we do. So there's the tear gas there. We know the value of a free society. And we take seriously the responsibility to preserve it. We are NTD. Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. We have insights and perspectives on the stories shaping our world. Breaking news, in-depth analysis, and inspiration to power your day. Next, we're tuning into a hearing on how scammers are using artificial intelligence and how we can fight back. It's held by the Senate Special Committee on Aging, and we'll look at the exponential growth of AI technology, as well as its potential for misuse in perpetrating scams and fraudulent activities. And of course, artificial intelligence benefits people in all kinds of ways. It gives human beings the ability to essentially multiply themselves and do things that, you know, 100 people used to do that with only the help of one person. Um, but it also gives scammers the ability to do what they do even more effectively and scam a lot more people in a lot of new kinds of ways. And scamming elderly people, we do know that this is here held by the Special Committee on Aging, so we'll have a focus also about the most vulnerable in our midst. Let's tune in. While we're working to understand the potential applications of AI, scammers have been integrating it into their schemes to make their ploys more lifelike and convincing. Deep fakes or, or AI-developed images that look nearly identical to a real-life person, <clears throat> and voice clones can mimic the voice of a loved one and can easily dupe consumers and businesses in, into giving away valuable personal information or money. Any consumer of any age can fall victim to these highly convincing scams. In preparation for today's hearing, my staff spoke to uh, numerous people around the country who were scammed or nearly scammed by these bad actors using AI. These stories are heartbreaking, with victim after victim expressing reactions of fear, despair, disbelief, and anger. One of our witnesses will share his story today, Gary Schildhorn. Gary is from Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, uh, just outside of uh, Philadelphia in the southeastern corner of our state. And Gary will um, talk about, despite knowing all the signs, um, talk about his situation of nearly losing $9,000 to a scammer after he heard a voice clone of his son on the other line pleading for help. So Gary, I want to thank you for being here today and for telling your story. We'll also have a chance to hear from six other people today who are willing to share their stories. The following will appear in a video. Jennifer DiStefano from the state of Arizona. Amy Conley from the state of New York. Janice Creason from 
the state of Pennsylvania, Dauphin County, right in the middle of our state, and Terry and Elva Holsapple, and their, na their neighbor, Jake Rothermel, from Potter County, Pennsylvania, way up on the northern border, the New York border of Pennsylvania. <clears throat> we'll share some of their experiences today, and more of their stories will be available on the Agent Committee's website. These stories are awfully hard to hear, <clears throat> and they're tragic. And I know that as a parent, I would feel the same fear and the same uh, need to react or act if I heard about, uh, I heard the voice of one of my daughters or, or something that happened to them or my grandchildren on the other end of the phone begging for assistance. Any one of us would react in, in the ways that, that um, the testimony today will outline. So this is something we all have to be more aware of. So with that, we're grateful you're here today, but we'll play this video clip first, and then I'll turn to Ranking Member Braun. And immediately heard, Mom, I've been in an automobile accident. I've been in an accident. Immediately, I heard sirens and my daughter's voice. And she said in a crying voice, Mom, I got in an accident. The, my daughter was, how she was crying on the phone. I mean, profusely crying and saying, Mom, Mom, Mom. And of course, my, my wife was saying, Leanne, Leanne, what is the matter? Leanne, Leanne. And then she repeated it again, Mom, Mom, Mom. And it was, and sounded exactly like her. So I answered the phone and it was my 15 year old daughter crying and sobbing, saying, Mom, 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 help me. These bad men have me. Help me, help me, help me. Someone called posing as someone from um, law enforcement, uh, the court system. I would say someone in the court system and explained to me what had happened, that my daughter had been charged, what the next steps were. And said that um, they could get her into a program that would ensure she did not get points on her record, that she would not be charged, and said there would be some cost involved to it. The phone rang right away, and it was someone who um, said they were from the probation agency and that it would be $15,000 to get her out of jail. It wasn't uh, very long, a public defender called. She said uh, she's going to be charged and she's going to go to jail. So she said, but uh, it, you can post bail for her if you want to, and she won't go to jail. So we said, well, how much is the bail? And she said, it's $15,000. He started to demand a million dollars. That wasn't possible. Uh, and then he got really angry with me about that. So then he came up with $50,000. There was something uh, subconscious about this incident that I believe uh, resonated with them, that things were, things were not all on the up and up. Um, but as I was ready to get in the car, actually to head to the bank and get out money to send with a courier, uh, honestly, I just put my head down in the car and just said, just said a prayer out of the blue. It was just like 
it's a scam. She sent a picture of herself at home, smiling, saying, I'm fine. So at that point, I knew it was a scam. Jake called us back. He found out all the information. I was on the phone with him, and Elva was on the phone with uh, Leanne, and Jake said, it's a scam. And then finally, the mom who was with my daughter, Aubrey, was able to get my husband on the phone, who was able to locate my older daughter, Bree. So I demanded that I talk to her to make sure that it was really her. And so I started asking her questions. And she's just, Mom, I have no idea what's going on. I'm here with Dad. Um, and at that point, then that's when I knew that this was a scam. It's, it's the worst feeling a parent can have. It has it rattled us, for sure. I was devastated when I heard it. I was upset, I had tears. I could hear in the background pleading and crying and begging for my help. And then that's when I got really scared. Scammers are going to basically play on one thing and that is on the heartstrings of particularly family members because when it comes to family, we'll do anything for our families. We are tuned into the Senate hearing on modern scams, how scammers are using artificial intelligence and how we can fight back. It's hosted by the Special Committee on Aging, chaired by Bob Casey, a Democrat from Pennsylvania. We were hearing about all these different instances where people were scammed using deep fake voice cloning technology with artificial intelligence. Uh, people talking about how their children were calling them on the phone, screaming, you know, asking for help, repeating mom, 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 and uh, you know, some people actually, uh, one woman actually got in her car and was on the way to the bank to get some money when she paused and said a prayer and actually heard that it was a scam. Yeah, and these, this type of scamming is, is deeply problematic, obviously on so many different levels, but one of the things it does is erodes trust. You know, how can we trust um, a, a phone call from now on? I mean, they, the, these scammers will actually mimic or spoof the phone number of a loved one yeah. as part of these scams. Yeah, and not only phone calls, that is quite horrific to think of, but it's also happening online. AI is being used in all kinds of ways. For example, deep fake videos, which impersonate even well-known people. Um, President Biden had actually commented recently on seeing a video of himself as a deep fake and saying, did I actually say that? He, he thought it was himself, you know. Um, but there was another instance where uh, a famous YouTuber, Mr. Beast, was uh, used as a deep fake to promote the sale of $2 iPhones. Of course, that's not real, but it was a scam. There are tons of these, these cases. Yeah, one of the things about artificial intelligence is that when you see a deep fake video or hear a deep fake voice, or even if you go on chat GPT and you ask it to write you something, there's something that's not quite human and a little robotic, a little bit off about artificial intelligence generated content, at least at this point until it gets more advanced. Yeah. Obviously, but. And so you did hear one of the testimonies there of a lady saying that she, she paused just before she was about to go and take out money from the bank. She prayed and she, she just sensed that something wasn't right. Uh, so there is something to keep, keep watch on your, your sense of whether this is a real human or not. It's a very subtle thing, but there are other markers we can, we can bring up also later in the show. Um, some other examples we heard, we've seen uh, 
Elon Musk purportedly being in a deep fake video presenting an investment opportunity. Of course, that was not real in this particular instance. There was another one in the UK where a CEO was scammed out of $200,000, where he was called by who he thought he was his boss to transfer that money to one of their clients. And he did that thinking it was real. Uh, as same with the people we just heard, you know, so it can target anyone um, as we just heard. But of course, the elderly are more susceptible, although as it gets more sophisticated, it seems we're all susceptible. That's right. Yeah. You know, just to bring it closer to home, a, a family friend of mine was actually scammed this way. You know, we always think about these things as being so far away. But yeah, it's, it's right at our door. Um, her, she got a call from her grandson asking for money. He was supposedly stuck at the train station. And then she thought, my grandson would never ask me money if he was stuck at his train station. <laughs> and she knew right away. So be on your guard. We'll have more on this hearing after the break. Welcome back. We are tuned in to the House hearing on modern scams, how scammers are using artificial intelligence and how we can stop them. It's hosted by the Special Committee on Aging. We just heard from the chairman of that committee, Bob Casey, a Democrat from Pennsylvania. He was talking about deep fakes, voice clones, um, and how they can dupe consumers and business owners. Artificial intelligence has been changing the world dramatically. And, you know, we've all seen these uh, videos or photos of celebrities or politicians that aren't actually real and they were created by artificial intelligence. And, of course, scammers are using these to uh, cheat people out of their money. Now, he spoke about the effect these kinds of scams have on people. I mean, um, creating kind of a deep fear, despair, disbelief, and just anger because you know, their emotions are absolutely hijacked by these scammers who do these things called kidnapping scams where they, you know, pretend they use a clone of your loved one's voice and they, they make it sound like your loved one has been kidnapped. And I mean, just imagine like, you actually believe that for a moment. Mm -hmm. And then later on, of course, you find that, find out it's wrong. But for a moment, you thought that your loved one was kidnapped and um, the, the trauma inside that that can cause to people, it's, it's really shocking. He spoke about one of the witnesses, uh, Gary Schildhorn, who nearly lost $9,000 to a scammer who was cloning his son's voice, pleading for help. And we'll, uh, the, the Congress will hear from him later in the hearing. But let's dive back into the hearing. Well, the, you heard it all there. That's, that's what we're dealing with here, in real people in real lives. Uh, Ranking Member Braun. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. What, what we just uh, listened to there, it's going to get worse because we're at the leading edge of uh, this technology. And it's always amazed me in running uh, a business for as long as I did. And when we embraced technology uh, 15 to 20 years ago, uh, and it became such an important part of running a profitable, efficient, logistics and distribution business, but constantly you've got folks out there 
through credit card scams, you name it, they are after everyone. And it amazes me uh, how broad it is. Now you see what happened here. So I think the main takeaway is that AI, obviously, uh, can be used for that. Uh, it also may be the tool that you can use against it. That's kind of the uh, conundrum. We just need to figure it out. Uh, private sector has been using AI, I think, beneficially for a long time, dates back into the 90s. Uh, it's important, I think, that government embraces the technology so it understands it, uh, so that we can come up with some paradigm that is in place to help folks like we uh, just listened to. I'm going to be introducing uh, the Medicare Transaction Fraud Prevention Act, which will be very simply uh, for all the fraud that comes around it using the same tools credit card companies have used for a long time. And you've all been part of that where somehow they get your credit card number. They do a great job at it. In most cases, uh, the fraud does not occur. There's no reason we wouldn't want to minimally at least mimic that. Uh, it's going to target two particular areas, diagnostic testing and durable medical equipment. That's another way you can scam. Uh, and here you're involving the government. And these are generally expensive uh, items, uh, medically speaking. Uh, what this would do is notify beneficiaries in real time with suspicious activity. While some of my colleagues have called for a heavy-handed federal uh, approach to AI, I'm very concerned that we don't smother it because it's already out there. And uh, the malfeasance is ahead of maybe the good uh, results that can come from it. So um, I'm uh, proud to be uh, part of this hearing. Uh, where it's very important that we keep this uh, in the discussion mode. Uh, be sure that we uh, don't smother the technology because it's already out there. And if we do not embrace it, we will not be able to counter the ill effects out there. I yield back, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Ranking Member Braun. I'll start our witness introductions. I'll do three, and then I'll turn to Ranking Member Braun for our fourth witness. Our first witness, uh, I mentioned in my opening, Gary Shieldhorn, and Gary, I want to thank you for being here for, for telling your story. Gary is a, a lawyer in Philadelphia. He specializes in corp corporate law, in, including corporate fraud. He will share his experience with a bad actor, and that's a terrible understatement, who used his son's voice to try to scam him out of thousands of dollars, something no parent, no family member wants to endure. So Gary, thank you for being here with us today and for sharing your story. Our second witness is Tom Romanoff. Tom is the director of the Technology Project at the Bipartisan Policy Center. He's uh, previously led IT initiatives at several, several federal agencies and explained the impact of new technology on government operations. He will discuss how AI is being used to make fraud and scams both more sophisticated and harder to detect. So Mr. Romanoff, thank you for being with us today and bringing your expertise. Our third witness is Steve Weisman, a professor, attorney, and an expert in scams, identity theft, and cybersecurity. Mr. Weisman has dedicated his career to educating consumers on how to safeguard against fraud and scams. Thank you for being here and for sharing your expertise with us. I'll now turn to Ranking Member Braun. 
My pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. Uh, Tahir Ekin. Uh, he is the uh, field chair in business analytics and professor of information systems at Texas State University. His book, Statistics and Healthcare Fraud, How to Save Billions, covers fraud prevention strategy and many of the trends that will be discussed here today. Thank you for uh, coming here to uh, testify for us. We are tuned into the Senate hearing on modern scams, how scammers are using artificial intelligence and what we can do to fight back. We just heard from Senator Mike Braun there, a Republican from Indiana, speaking about his thoughts that we shouldn't, as he said, smother AI, saying that there's a lot of potential there and it is already out there being used, has been used by the private sector since the 90s and that the government should really embrace it in order to understand how it works and protect and also make use of it. How big is this issue? I mean, we know that we heard from many people there saying they were asked, demanded 50,000, 15,000, various amounts. Some of them would have handed those over, some didn't. Uh, back in 2020, the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center said just in that year alone, the U.S. US uh, citizens and people here lost $4.2 billion in total. Um, that number, I think, would probably have risen since then, considering how sophisticated these attacks have become since then using AI. Um, right, and also just considering how big the AI market has grown um, and is projected to grow. Currently, it's about $450 billion, according to Precedence Research, and it's expected to grow to $2.5 trillion by 2032. That's a compound annual growth rate of 19%, which is quite high. And, you know, artificial intelligence technology is in, in advancing because of that. And uh, with that, of course, the technology that scammers use is growing. And looking at some reports from McAfee, they've said that people receive an average of 12 fake messages or scams daily by email, text, or social media. That's quite a few. And they spend uh, two-thirds of people who receive scam messages actually click on or fall for those scams. 45% of those people have lost money as a result and 15% have lost more than $1,000. The average American, according to McAfee, spends 94 minutes every week reviewing, verifying, or deciding whether a message sent through text, email, or social media is fake. That, that actually adds up to about two weeks per year. Wow, that's incredible. There are also, uh, on, on your phone, both Android and Apple, there are ways to set your phone so that it blocks unknown callers. Um, I used to have a huge problem with these kinds of text messages, but you can, you can set that setting. The only problem is that if you get a text message from, say, a doctor or a contractor you're working with that you've never corresponded with on the phone before, it will block that number. So you have to remember to add that person's contact information to your phone so it doesn't block it. And if you, if you do get targeted with this, if you do fall for it, uh, of course, there is the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center. They said that they get 2,000 complaints per day on average. Um, we do know also there are various forms of AI-directed uh, scams out there, not just the ones we've just heard of, which are in themselves innovative and horrific. There are also QR code scan scams now where, um, you know, you can scan a 
QR code. It takes you to a scam fake website that is asking you for money, obviously, to log into your email address, your work email, your bank accounts, something like that, the regular kind. But it's just coming in this new form that people aren't aware of. Apparently, just from August to September this year, the amount of QR scams rose by 600%. So watch out for that one. As but, if there weren't too many more things to worry about now. Right, absolutely. So it's good to be aware anyway. So stay tuned for more information after the break. Welcome back. We're tuned into the Senate hearing on AI and how it's being used to scam people here in the U.S. Uh, we just heard from Senator Mike Braun, a ranking member of the Senate Aging Special Aging Committee. Uh, he he's been he's been behind a move to really work on this and get policies going surrounding. AI protections for months now. He actually spearheaded a bipartisan letter to the Federal Trade Commission back in May, really asking for an update on what the FTC knows about AI-driven scams against the elderly. That letter was signed by all, uh, all senators uh, on the committee from both parties. And so we can see here that this is a real bipartisan effort that's going forward. That's right, and this committee also created a report on the top 10 scams targeting seniors in the U.S. You know, these scammers go after senior citizens because, you know, as we age, sometimes, you know, the, our ability to make this discern scammers can decrease, and these people just want to go after the most vulnerable population they can possibly find. That's right. right. So let's tune in and hear what, what uh, is happening next in this hearing. We'll turn to our fir first witness, Gary Shieldhorn. Thank you, Chairman Casey, Ranking Member Braun, uh, for inviting me to this hearing. I hope my testimony is useful. Um, as, you as you mentioned, I'm a practicing attorney in Philadelphia, and I was the intended victim of a scam using my son's voice. And uh, here's the story. I was on my way to work, my phone rang. It was my son. He was crying. He said, Dad, I was in an accident. I hit another car being driven by a pregnant woman. My nose is broken. They arrested me. I'm in jail. They assigned a public defender to me. His name is Barry Goldstein. You need to call him. You have to get me out of here. Help me. I said, Brett, I'll call him and I'll call you right back. He said, you can't. They took my phone. Help me, Dad. I'm a father. I'm a lawyer. My son's in trouble. A pregnant woman was hurt. He's in jail. I'm in action mode. Before I could do anything, my phone rings again. It's Barry Goldstein. I just met with your son. He's hurt. He has a broken nose, but he'll be okay. He hit a car being driven by a pregnant woman. She was taken to the hospital. They arrested your son because he failed the breathalyzer test at the accident scene. I said, wait, my son would never drink and drive. He said, Brett told him that, but he had an energy drink that morning, and that may have caused the failed test. He said, uh, I should take some steps if I wanted to to bail my son out. I said, of course I want to do that. He said, well, I'll give you the phone number for the courtroom, courthouse, and here's your son's case number. You should call the courthouse and bail him out. I immediately called the courthouse. They answered correctly. 
I tell them why I'm calling. They said, what's your son's name? They asked for the case number. They said, yes, uh, your son's here. Bail was set at $90,000. You need to post 10%, $9,000 to bail him out. But there's a problem. So what's the problem? The county bail bondsman was away on a family emergency. And the, uh, he's not available. He said, but there is a solution. You, there, you can post what they called an attorney's bond. I said, I'm an attorney. He said, yes, but you'd haven't entered your appearance on behalf of your son. There's a Mr. Goldstein that did that. You should perhaps call him back and try to get him to, uh, to post an attorney's bond. Hang up, I call Mr. Goldstein back. Mr. Goldstein, can you post the bond for my son? Yes. You need to wire me uh, $9,000. He said, I'm a member of a credit union, so you need to take the cash to a certain kiosk, which will get the money to me. And I'm scheduled to leave for a conference in California. I'll be leaving to the airport in two hours, so you need to move quickly. I learned later that that kiosk was a Bitcoin kiosk that would convert the money to cryptocurrency. I hang up. All of these calls happened in, in two minutes. This is the first time I had a chance to think. I called my daughter-in-law and suggested that she call work and tell them that my son wasn't going to make it today because he was in an accident. A few minutes later, FaceTime call from my son. He's pointing to his nose. He goes, my nose is fine. I'm fine, you're being scammed. I sat there in my car. I was physically affected by that. I was, it was shock and anger and relief. I decided that I would try to keep Mr. Goldstein engaged in the scam while I invited law enforcement to, to become involved. I contacted the Philadelphia police and they said because I had not lost the money they couldn't help me. I called the local FBI office. They said, look, there, were, there was burner phones and cryptocurrency. They were aware of the scam and that they were unable to, to bring back cryptocurrency once it was out of the country or wherever it went. And so they were unwilling to get involved. And that left me fairly frustrated because I had been involved in, cons in consumer fraud cases in my career and I almost fell for this. So the only thing I thought I could then do was to warn people. So I approached the Philadelphia Inquirer, and they did a feature story. Um, and Fox News ran a uh, segment on their morning show. The scam hasn't abated. Since that article came out, I've received 20 to 25 calls throughout the country of people who have been contacted by Barry Goldstein and who had lost money. And they were devastated. I mean, they're emotionally and physically hurt. They almost were calling to get a phone call hug because they were so upset. And they asked me, you know, what could I recommend? And I said, look, the, the, do what I did, go public. Oh, and the other suggestion I had was to go to the bank where they, where they bank and suggest that tellers inquire about anyone that's taking out a lot of cash that doesn't usually do that. That was the only thing I could come up with. The, the, the cryptocurrency and AI have provided a riskless avenue 
for fraudsters to take advantage of all of us. They have no risk of exposure. I know that there's economic benefit to cryptocurrency, but I also know that it causes substantial harm um, to, to society and financial harm. To me, you know, it's fundamental if we're, if we're harmed by somebody, there's a remedy either through the legal system or through law enforcement. In this case, there is no remedy. And that fundamental basis uh, is broken. And I hope that this committee could do something about that. Thank you. We're tuning into a Senate hearing on modern scams, how artificial intelligence is being used to scam people and what to do about it. It's hosted by the Special Committee on Aging, chaired by Bob Casey, a Democrat from Pennsylvania. We were just listening to the testimony of Gary Schildhorn, a witness in this hearing. He shared a harrowing and horrifying story of how he was scammed, almost scammed out of about $9,000. About $9, 90000 I think. Yeah, it was, he, he was saying they, they were asking for a $90,000 bail, but they needed $10,000 oh, that day. And <clears throat> the, uh, there were actually three fakes involved yeah. in the scam. Not, there was his son, there was an attorney, and the, a, a courthouse. And he was making calls to all these fake phone numbers um, and fake people. They used uh, AI cloning to clone his son's voice and made it sound like he was in a car accident. And as you said, he had all these series of calls within a period of two minutes trying to figure this out and, and, work, and save his son from going to jail. Right, and one of the things they said was that his son's nose was broken, um, and eventually that gets back to his son, and his son calls him and he says, my nose is fine, I'm fine. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's just this, he said he was both shocked and relieved at the same time. And he, he said he was like physically affected by this, which I can only imagine. Yeah, and stories like this have spread. Obviously, uh, this Mr. Schildhorn decided to go public, make it known, raise awareness. And he said he'd received 20 to 25 calls of people who'd faced, fallen for this very same scam. But it seems that people in the US are becoming more aware and concerned. At least back in 2021, 37% of Americans said that they were more concerned than excited about AI and the development of technology. That's according to Pew Research Center. Right, and Elon Musk has warned about the dangers of AI as well as many of the le leaders in the industry, some of the original developers of artificial intelligence have said this is a serious threat and we need to um, develop our ability to counter it very, very rapidly. Uh, one of the things that Schildhorn was saying that if you've been scammed, which hopefully you haven't, you, you, there's, you know, what can you do to get your money back? It's, mm. it's, you know, if they're using, say, cryptocurrency, you, ca you can't get that back. The FBI was even saying that. But what you can do is go public to raise awareness, just like Mr. Schildhorn did, in order to, yeah, raise awareness and, and put pressure on politicians to make sure this gets addressed and, and just warn people about this. You know, if you're getting this kind of extreme call from a loved one, you know, pause, take a deep breath, and try to, try to disengage for a second. You know, how do you hang up on that? Maybe try to find a way to test them to see, test the scammer to see if it's actually your 
your loved one, you know, ask them some kind of question about something they would know about? Yeah, you, you saw some potential warning signs there saying he couldn't call his son back, you know, and saying his son was, uh, had been drinking alcohol, which of course there was an alibi for that, but his son would never do something like that. And, and um, so there are various clues that you can watch out for. See whether your family member's name has been mispronounced. The pressure to act quickly is common and asking, asking for things to be kept a secret. These are all certain signs you can watch for. Um, but let's tune in to the hearing and see what the next testimony is about. Just after the break. Welcome back. We're watching the Senate hearing Modern Scams, How Scammers Are Using Artificial Intelligence and How We Can Fight Back. We just heard one witness testimony from an attorney who fell for, or almost fell for, a very big scam um, involving his son and his fraud of his son's voice. Um, we do know that there have been efforts already going to try to work on this and insert some protections. YouTube recently said that it would require or is now requiring users to disclose when artificial intelligence has been used in the videos that they're uploading. The Biden administration also recently announced uh, an executive order. Biden recently announced an executive order outlining strategies that they would take, mostly outlining a plan for setting up standards and best practices when using AI and setting out who, which, which agencies would create those standards and how they would be implemented. Um, but we do know even Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has said that in trying to create a bill to, to address this issue, he said, quote, this is one of the, this is about the hardest thing I have attempted to undertake legislatively because A, it's so complicated and B, it affects every aspect of society. So that's why hearings like these are so important and informative and uh, they'll certainly be ongoing as this AI technology continues to present new and varied um, features that need to be dealt with both socially and politically and in terms of policy. So let's tune into that hearing. Mr. Weissman. Chairman Casey, Ranking Member Brown, thank you for the opportunity to provide testimony today. My name is Steve Wiseman. I am a lawyer with the firm of Margolis, Bloom, and D'Agostino, a professor at Bentley University where I teach white-collar crime, author, and the editor of Scamicide.com, where each day I provide new information about the latest scams, identity theft, and cybersecurity developments and tips on how to avoid these problems. Scamicide was named by the New York Times as one of the three best sources for information about COVID-related scams. When it comes to fraud and scams affecting seniors, I'm here to tell you things aren't as bad as you think. Unfortunately, they are far worse. According to the FTC's Consumer Sentinel report, which was just released a few weeks ago, and you mentioned older Americans reportedly lost $1.6 billion to frauds and scams in 2022. And as you also mentioned, this number is undoubtedly lower than the actual figure because many seniors, for a variety of reasons, including embarrassment or shame, fail to report the scams perpetrated against them. The FTC estimates in 2022 the actual amount lost by seniors could be as high as $48.4 billion. And now with artificial intelligence, the scams are getting worse. 
AI has become a sophisticated weapon that can be effectively utilized by even the most unsophisticated scammers. And today I'd like to tell you about a few of the scams in which AI is being used and how we can protect older adults. By now, as you heard, many people are somewhat familiar with the family emergency scam or grandparent scam, in which a family member receives a telephone call from someone posing as their loved one. The individual on the phone claims to have gotten into some trouble, most commonly a traffic accident. In grandparent scams, the scammer pleads for the grandparent to send the money immediately to help resolve the problem and begs the grandparent not to tell mom and dad. Now, this scam has been perpetrated for approximately 14 years, but it is getting worse, and we have AI to thank for that. Through the use of readily available AI voice cloning technology, a scammer using a recording of the grandchild or child's voice obtained from YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, or voicemail, can create a call to the grandparent that sounds exactly like the grandchild. All it takes is AI voice generating software readily available and as little as 30 seconds of audio. Phishing emails, and the more specifically targeted spear phishing emails, use social engineering to lure the targeted victim to click on a link, download a malware attachment, make a payment, or provide personal information. Spear phishing, however, is a personalized phishing email that incorporates information about the targeted victim to make that email more believable. And phishing is used in a variety of schemes. In 2021, Google conducted a study in conjunction with researchers at Stanford. The researchers studied more than a billion malicious emails targeting Gmail users. And they found that the number of phishing and spear phishing emails users received totaled more than 100 million each day. Again, as bad as a threat as socially engineered spear phishing emails have presented in the past, they are far worse now because of AI. Using AI, scammers can create more sophisticated and effective spear phishing emails that are more likely to convince a victim to fall for a scam. In the past, phishing emails, particularly those originating overseas in countries where English is not the primary language, could be recognized by their lack of grammar, syntax, or spelling. However, AI has solved those problems for foreign scammers, and their phishing emails are now more difficult to recognize. So how do we protect seniors from scams? Well, forewarned is forearmed. Alerting the public as to telltale signs of scams and how to recognize them is a key element in protecting seniors. I do this each day through Scamicide, and this committee has also done this through publications such as its fraud book publication, which contains much useful information. Fortunately, AI can also be an effective tool in combating AI-enhanced scams. Machine learning algorithms can analyze vast amounts of data to identify patterns and trends associated with spear phishing emails. AI can also be used to identify robocall patterns and detect spoofing, a technique used to manipulate caller ID and mimic another phone number. Regulation of AI is critical to protecting people from AI-enhanced scams. And uh, as was said, the president's recent executive order is a promising first step. The FTC has regulatory authority over AI through Section 5 of the FTC Act, but Congress will also have a role to play in crafting appropriate regulations. Unfortunately, scammers may pay little attention to regulators, so regulators should focus on ensuring consumers can identify and authenticate content. When it comes to protecting seniors from the daunting challenge of AI and scams, the time to do the best we can is now. We're tuned in to a Senate hearing on modern scams, how artificial intelligence is magnifying and amplifying scammers' abilities to, yeah, scam you out of sometimes thousands 
of dollars. We just heard from a witness, Mr. Steve Weissman, an attorney, uh, is also a scam expert and editor of scamicide.com. He educates people about the threat of scammings, particularly focusing on senior citizens. The seniors are often a more vulnerable population, more dependent on other people than other populations, and can be uh, an easy target uh, for these scammers. That's right, especially considering the rapid development of the features. Elderly people are typically not keeping up with these developments as they progress. We do have advice um, on how to, as you just heard some from Mr. Weissman, but there are more things you can do to watch out for and protect yourself personally against these scams and attacks. Florida's Consumer Watchdog Agency advises, aside from listening for cues about whether your loved one's name is mispronounced or there's unusual pressure to act quickly, all of these features we heard earlier. Um, you may also be given, as we heard earlier, detailed instructions on how to deliver funds um, and often a way of in trying to convince you to do it secretly. So these are some of the ways. Right. Another thing is, you know, don't only rely on caller ID. They can actually fake your phone number, yeah. fake a person's phone number. Uh, so it looks like the phone number is coming from a loved one. It sounds like a loved one. Uh, one thing you can do is come up with a question to ask them, you know, oh, you know, uh, how was your, your breakfast? Maybe you had lunch with them that day or breakfast or something, and you can ask them what they had, you know, just as an example. Wow, um, I wonder how sophisticated you'd need to make that because, you know, we know that our phones are kind of listening tools and, and you don't really know what AI might have picked up on. Or they're already gathering so much information about people that they can use to scam on you. I wonder if they know what you've had for breakfast. Oh, man. <laughs> Steph, I wouldn't put it past scammers, and artificial intelligence is just growing so fast. And the thing about AI is that the, more, the longer it's around, the faster it learns, the more it learns, and the more it learns, the more it learns, so it grows at an exponential rate. And this threat is becoming, yeah, I mean, greater by the second, essentially. So we hope we, we've informed you uh, to watch out for potential scammers. Uh, please stay tuned to NTD News today. Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are our top stories. President Biden again calling the Chinese Communist Party leader a dictator. What Biden says about China's human rights and its aggressive actions in the South China Sea. Were President Biden's remarks to the Chinese leader enough to appease human rights advocates? A researcher details the ongoing abuses from the CCP towards people of faith. Violent protests in D.C. last night. Palestine supporters reportedly attacked police. Why a Democratic congressman is comparing the protests to January 6th. Families in Lahaina still searching for missing loved ones. We hear more from two law enforcement officials 100 days after the devastating fire in Maui. Defense leaders meet in Indonesia and everything is on the table from Gaza to Burma. Officials from U.S., China and Russia join local countries. Turkey is now starting to consider Sweden's NATO bid, but not without asking for favors in return. Find out what Turkey wants from Sweden.
This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. We have insights and perspectives on the stories shaping our world. Breaking news, in-depth analysis and inspiration to power your day. Now for our top stories. Following a high-stakes meeting with China, Pre President Biden is turning his attention to Asia-Pacific economies. Biden today will address CEOs in the APEC summit. He plans to talk about how to steer through challenges, including the Russia-Ukraine war and conflicts in the Middle East. Biden will also spend time convincing other Indo-Pacific leaders that the U.S. is committed to developing economic ties throughout the region. He'll also pose for the traditional family photo with an APEC with APEC leaders and host lunch and dinner today. And the president doubling down on calling the head of the CCP a dictator. While Biden says he's trying to avoid conflicts, he also stresses the need to compete with Beijing and counter its aggression. NTD's Iris Tao has more from Filoli Estate in San Francisco, where the U.S.-China meeting took place. So right before Biden left the press conference, it says that the head of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping, is a dictator, adding that China is a communist country. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is the guy who runs a country that is a communist country that based on a former government totally different than ours. He also says that he brought up human rights issues, China's wrong detainment of U.S. citizens, as well as China's aggressive behaviors in the South China Sea. And as I always do, I raised areas where the United States has concerns about the PRC's actions, including detained and, ex and, uh, and, and exit banned U.S. citizens human rights and corrective uh, course of activities in the South China Sea. Biden also says that the U.S. rejects China's non-market practices, and thus as a senior Biden administration official told me that the U.S. is concerned over China's economic coercion toward U.S. allies such as Japan and South Korea. The two sides also agreed to resume military-to-military -military communications, which were cut off amid tensions. But China's aggression is still at the center of the spotlight, as the FBI have been warning about a rise in Chinese spy activities here in the U.S., and as there has been some 200 incidents of China's aggressive of military actions where PLA operators have performed reckless maneuvers or discharged chaff or shot off flares or approached too rapidly or too close to U.S. aircraft. And that's as Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis warning in a recent op-ed that two parties, both parties in the U.S., have been treating the CCP like a friendly competitor, while in fact it's a hostile Marxist regime that will only continue to steal U.S. technology if the U.S. doesn't act strongly against it. Reporting in San Francisco, Iris Tao, NTD News. Let's dive deeper into the human rights issues clouding Chinese leader Xi Jinping's meeting with Biden. I spoke with Cynthia Sun, a researcher for the Falun Dafa Information Center. The Falun Gong spiritual practice has been brutally persecuted by the Chinese regime for more than 20 years. Cynthia Sun, thank you so much for joining us. What would you have liked President Biden to have added to his talk with Chinese leader Xi Jinping yesterday? So I saw in the notes that Biden did mention human rights, but the persecution of Falun Gong was not in the meeting notes. And so I would have liked 
Biden to mention the persecution of Falun Gong, considering that next summer is the 25th anniversary of the persecution and tens of millions of people who practice this spiritual meditation are currently being persecuted. Just in the past few years during the pandemic, we've seen thousands of people being arrested and harassed and hundreds sentenced for passing out flyers about their faith and trying to stop the persecution. So I would have liked Biden to talk to see about the persecution of Falun Gong. Now, Cynthia, the Congressional Executive Commission on China submitted to Biden the list of unjustly imprisoned yeah, American citizens, human rights lawyers, prisoners of conscience, and other dissidents just before uh, his meeting with Xi. What's the significance of that? Biden does have a responsibility for his citizens and also the family members of American citizens who are currently being persecuted in China. Among that list that the CCC provided was Mr. Zhou Deyong, who is the father of uh, Mr. Zhou Yu, who's a Florida resident. And from his case, he was persecuted and he's currently being sentenced for possessing Falun Gong books in his home. And so just for that, he's being persecuted, being harassed, and currently there's been no communication with him whatsoever, and his family is extremely worried. So I believe that among the list that the CCC provided, that should be top priority, is getting those citizens, getting those dissidents out of China, reuniting them with their family here in America. And to your point, the Chinese regime's oppression isn't just limited to people in China, but it extends around the world through transnational repression. What would you have liked Biden to have said to Xi in regards to that? Well, that's an issue of national security because Beijing's long arm has stretched through its proxies and its consulates. And Falun Gong practitioners who are meditating and appealing in front of Chinese consulates have faced constant harassment. They've been assaulted two times in the past two years that we know of just in New York City. And so in that regard, I really think that Biden should have stepped his foot down and really made it a hard line so that C understands that this sort of behavior isn't okay in the United States. Now, during similar high-level diplomatic meetings, we've seen CCP supporters attack those appealing for human rights. Have there been any incidents where Falun Gong practitioners have been attacked at these kinds of events? Many. The most egregious one actually happened in South Africa. This was almost 20 years ago, but nine Australian Falun Gong practitioners went to South Africa to appeal when the vice president went, and they were actually shot at by Chinese nationals. And one of them, one of the Falun Gong practitioners, actually had to go to the hospital because he was extremely traumatized and he was extremely injured. And in the United States, just in New York City, we've documented so many cases of Chinese consulate members and the China Anti-Cult World Alliance who are targeting Falun Gong, trying to silence them. Even during APEC yesterday, we saw at least three incidents where Chinese nationals were trying to cover Falun Gong banners with flags. So I think on all fronts, it has happened in the past and it will continue to happen. And coming back to APEC, Biden will be engaging with other leaders from Asia at the summit. What points should he raise with these leaders? 
I think in particular with the Asian leaders, he should reinforce the Democratic allies and reconsider all of the human rights abuses that China has been undertaking, especially in regards to South Korean President Yoon. I believe that Biden should raise the issue of the American company Shen Yun, who was recently blocked from performing in all of their theaters. I believe that an American performing arts company should be able to perform and should not be pressured by Chinese consulate in South Korea to do so otherwise. All right, Cynthia Sun, researcher at the Falun Dafa Information Center. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. And with that in mind, what will it really take to counter the CCP ideologically? Earlier, I spoke with the founder and president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers, Reggie Littlejohn. She previously led the international effort to free blind Chinese activist Chen Guangcheng and has testified eight times at the U.S. Congress and before other governments around the world. Let's see that now. Reggie, thank you so much for joining us. To begin with, in light of President Biden's recent characterization of Xi Jinping as a dictator after their recent meeting, what do you think are the most pressing human rights issues that we really should be focusing on in terms of China and human rights? Well, I mean, I, you know, this is a rare moment where I agree with President Biden on something that he has to say about China, which is that, that Xi Jinping is, in fact, a dictator, and he is, is consolidating power in a way that we haven't seen since the Mao era. Uh, and what has he been using to, that consolidation of power for? He's been, been using to, uh, to persecute people on the basis of religion, including Christians, Falun Gong, organ harvesting, genocide against the Uyghurs, um, clamping down on censorship. The entire country is becoming like a, um, a, a technical, te technological totalitarian state where everything that everybody does is tracked, is rated, everybody's is under a social credit system so that you, you, have, you can't step out of line or else you might be cut off, for example, from your bank account or your credit card. So he's a t complete dictator. Absolutely. And with all of this in mind, she has also said that he believes that China and the U.S. really should be friends. So what, what does that really mean in that context? Well, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't trust his idea of friendship. So to me, the Chinese Communist Party, what they, what, what they do, their M.O. Is, is to try to befriend people so that they will let their guard down so that they can move in and basically abuse the relationship. Um, so, for ex examples of, of Chinese friendship is, is the Confucius Institutes, uh, where they say, oh, let us just fund this beautiful educational program on your campus. And then meanwhile, they use it as, you know, uh, propaganda mouthpiece and also even spying. So that's, that's a Chinese form of friendship. I mean, another form of friendship is, why don't you bring your company over to our country and we will be friends and we'll work together. And then meanwhile, they have forced technology transfers. Um, so it, it, it's, it's an abusive friendship. And now that the Biden administration seems to be taking a more vocal stance against the Chinese Communist Party, what kind of specific actions, policies, or international collaborations do you think should take place to address these kinds of abuses? Well, I mean, we lost so much of our power under the Clinton administration when um, human rights were delinked from most favored nation status. And now that China has this roaring economy and they have you know, full uh, economic 
um, access, it's really hard to, to, to dial that back and say, no, you have to address human rights. But we should be doing that. We should be tying human rights with economic access. And one, one of the ways of doing that is to, uh, to sanction companies that are, uh, Chinese companies that are engaging in human rights abuses and, and not allowing them to do business in, in the United States. And you've written in the Epoch Times and elsewhere, I'm sure, about defeating the Chinese Communist Party's ideological war. What strategies do you believe are effective in confronting and countering the CCP's propaganda, both inside China and internationally? Well, I, I, okay, so first of all, the ideological warfare of the Chinese Communist Party is, it, they, they do it through the media. Um, and through like universities, if a university wants to have access to China, China will fund their China department and then they, they won't allow them access if they criticize the Chinese Communist Party. People don't realize that. So number one, I, I think that we need to be talking about it like we are now. And number two, I think that there should be transparency. Like for example, every university that is accepting money for their China department from China or the media, if they are accepting ads from China, from the Chinese Communist Party or, or somehow funded by the Chinese Communist Party, that should be made known so that people know not to, uh, to, to understand that the news that they're getting, the information that they're getting is not unbiased. Reggie Littlejohn, founder and president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Coming up, what is the difference between a stay order and an injunction order? A Biden judiciary nominee had a hard time answering that question. Senator Joe Manchin is not ruling out leaving the Democratic Party as he considers a run for president. What do the lawmakers say about party affiliation? The, the FBI adds a Haitian gang leader to its 10 most wanted list. The suspect is accused of the kidnapping and murder of American missionaries. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Embattled House Representative George Santos says he won't run for re-election in 2024. That's shortly after the House Ethics Committee released a report detailing additional uncharged and unlawful conduct by him. Santos is already facing a federal indictment on corruption charges. He's pleaded not guilty and said he won't step down. The Ethics Committee says Santos himself was involved in the wrongdoing and tried to personally profit off his run for Congress. Santos hasn't been convicted on anything in court and survived a vote in the House to expel him, but he declined to write a statement in his own defense or testify under oath. Police and protesters clashing outside the Democratic National Committee headquarters last night. That was during a demonstration for a ceasefire in the war between Israel and Hamas. The DNC headquarters had to be evacuated. Democratic Congressman Brad Sherman says the protesters were violent and attacked police with pepper spray. The representative said, quote, pro-terrorist protesters attacked police and tried breaking into the building. He also thanked police who stopped them and for helping him. About seven members of Congress were reportedly inside the building when the attack took place. 
Meanwhile, Democratic Congressman Sean Kasten compared the incident to the January 6th Capitol breach. He questioned the protesters' intents, saying protests have to take place within reasonable boundaries. And just in, a pro-Palestinian protester has been charged in the death of Jewish man Paul Kessler. That was during a demonstration in California. Witnesses said the man tried to bait Kessler and struck him with a megaphone, causing him to fall and fatally injure his head. He's charged with involuntary manslaughter. The suspect is a full-time computer science professor. He's held on $1 million bail. One of President Biden's judiciary nominees had a hard time at her nomination hearing in the Senate. Sarah Hill struggled to define basic legal terms during an exchange with Senator John Kennedy on Wednesday. What is the difference between a stay order and an injunction? A stay, a stay order would prohibit... Um, sorry, an, an injunction would re restrain the parties from taking action. A state order, I'm not sure that I actually can, can give you the... Biden nominated Hill to be the U.S. District Judge for the Northern District of Oklahoma. She's a former Cherokee Nation's Attorney General with 20 years of law, law practice. A state order and an injunction order are two terms federal judges regularly use. An injunction bars a party from doing something as the case continues and a stay stops the legal proceedings of a case in court. Hill also struggled with other questions, such as the definitions of collateral estoppel and multi-district litigation statute. Kennedy, who also comes from a legal background, has a practice of questioning judiciary nominees on basic legal terms and definitions. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia says he won't rule out leaving the Democratic Party as he weighs a potential presidential run. Here's the senator during an interview with CNN. I've never considered myself a Washington Democrat. I've been a very independent person. You have a D or an R by your name or an I by your name. It shouldn't identify who you are. I vote independently and I've always done that for 40 years. So we'll see. Manchin announced last week he will not seek another term in the deeply red state. It came as a blow for Democrats hoping to hold on to a narrow 51 to 49 majority in the Senate. In July, he stoked speculation of a third-party presidential campaign during remarks at a forum held by a centrist group at a college in New Hampshire. Now to the impeachment inquiry into President Biden. House Speaker Mike Johnson says he fully supports the investigation. This after he received an update on the situation yesterday. Speaker Johnson told The Hill the investigation will now move to the next step, saying, quote, now the appropriate step is to place key witnesses under oath and question them un under, the under the penalty of perjury to fill gaps in the record. Johnson says the investigation has shown that then-Vice President Biden acted inappropriately. That's regarding business dealings with his family. Earlier this month, fresh allegations surfaced that Biden was involved in a pay-to-play bribery scheme. The inquiry began under former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Johnson's stance was not exactly clear until now. In Colorado, closing arguments wrapped up yesterday in former President Trump's disqualification trial. This comes after lawyers argued that Trump is ineligible for office and should be removed from the state's 2024 ballot. The lawsuit uses the insurrection argument to bar Trump from the ballot. 
Ratified after the Civil War, the insurrection ban says American officials who take an oath to support the Constitution are banned from future office if they engaged in insurrection. But it does not define insurrection, nor does it spell out how to enforce the ban. Trump beat similar cases in New Hampshire, Minnesota, and Michigan. But the landscape, landscape might be different in Colorado, as the other cases were dismissed before reaching trial. Trump has denied any wrongdoing. The judge's ruling is expected today or tomorrow. Now to the Georgia election case. A lawyer has admitted to leaking a video of Trump co-defendants. The video statements were leaked by attorney Jonathan Miller, who's representing defendant Misty Hampton. Judge Scott McAfee is expected to issue a protective order this morning. News outlets, including ABC and CNN, obtained the video statements by Scott Hall, Sidney Powell, Kenneth Cheeseborough, and Jenna Ellis. They were submitted to the Fulton County District Attorney's Office as part of their plea bargains. The prosecutors filed an emergency motion for a protective order after the leaks, prompting a hearing. The judge was concerned that the proposed order would result in a long series of hearings to establish what material is sensitive or not sensitive. The protective order would keep most of the information unavailable to the public. However, one attorney suggested that the order is unnecessary as most material is publicly available. Ivy League universities received $45 billion in federal payments, tax breaks, and subsidies over the last five years. Here are the details from an Open the Books audit. Auditors found that since 2018, 10 elite universities have received roughly $33 billion in federal contracts and grants. That's more than the total undergraduate student tuition paid to these institutions during the same period. The report further highlights an additional $12 billion in special tax treatment. The nonprofit found that five Ivy League colleges reportedly took more than $220 million in pandemic relief. The report also examined specific grants allocated to these institutions. Cornell spent more than $4 million to increase the number of minority faculty in the biological sciences. Columbia University received $5.7 million for a climate alternative reality game. $1 billion of fake goods busted. It's the largest seizure of counterfeit goods in U.S. history. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York found over 200,000 items. The goods include bags, clothes, shoes, and other luxury products. Two people have been arrested. Officials say they ran the operation out of a Manhattan storage facility from January to October. The suspects have been charged with trafficking in counterfeit goods. They could face up to 10 years in prison if convicted. The FBI added a Haitian gang leader to its 10 most wanted fugitives list yesterday. He's accused of the kidnapping and murder of American missionaries. Vito Ohm is a Haitian national and a leader of a ring of criminals known as the Croze Barre Gang, who brazenly prey on defenseless people in and around the Torso and Tybar areas of Haiti. The government will pay up to $2 million for information leading to his arrest. The Haitian national has already been indicted for the armed kidnapping of 16 Christian missionaries in 2021. He's also accused of murdering one of the hostages. The FBI believes he's still in Haiti. He could face the death penalty if he's captured and convicted of the slaying. The FBI conceded that capturing him would be difficult given the chaos in Haiti. 
Haitian gangs have operated with impunity since the 2021 assassination of President Jovenel Moïse. It's been 100 days since the cataclysmic wildfire that destroyed Lahaina on Maui. Today, there are still four people missing. This as some officers have endured great personal loss themselves. You gotta go! 100 days later, it is still nearly incomprehensible, taking in all that is lost. You're there with the person as they're sobbing and you see firsthand the, the trauma. Maui police officers Brad Taylor and Stephen Lancedell are two of the heroes whose task force has investigated every single missing persons case from the Lahaina fire. We're working towards the goal of making sure anybody who has a lost loved one we're able to find them or give them closure. Come on, come on, come on. Everybody out, everybody out, everybody out. Everybody but that out. has been elusive for the families of four people not seen since the paroxysm of the fire. Among those who are still missing is Robert Owens. We learned that he used to work for NASA as an engineer. Paul Spritsky, he is a resident of Lahaina. He's a local artist, a boat builder, a woodworker, and he's a published author and also a father of two. Elmer Stevens, he also frequents Lahaina. He is a father of two, and he does find solace in the quiet pleasures of life. The fourth still missing is Lydia Coloma. Lydia is a Lahaina resident. She is a mother, a wife, a well-respected community member. According to Honolulu Civil Beat, an astounding eight of Coloma's family members lost their lives in the Lahaina fire. This week, officers Taylor and Lancedell started new burn zone searches. Steve and I are still going out into the rubble, into the burn zone. We'll find new information out and we're, we're really, we want to make sure, we want to get the rest of those people. Officer Taylor told us he knew some of the victims. One of the unfortunate uh, ways I found out was we would get the DNA confirmation sheets and I was reading through it so I could find out who it was and I read the name and it was from a former coworker. Uh, she used to work with the police department. When I started my career, I worked closely with her. And Officer Lancedell was already changed, deeply affected by devastating wildfires. My hometown is Paradise, California. I had families and friends in Paradise that lost their homes and everything. For now, it's been a hundred days of work. Both officers remain hopeful there will be answers and eventual solace for the families of the four who are still missing. When I set out to this, it, it was no stone unturned, no one left behind. And I am hopeful and committed and dedicated to make sure that I reach that goal. Coming up, where do Americans get their news from? A new study shows many are turning to TikTok. And results from the illegal California BioLab investigation are in. Hear what members of the committee on the CCP had to say about the findings. Welcome back. Where do you usually get your news from? According to new research, more Americans are now using the video sharing app TikTok for news. The survey by Pew Research was published on Wednesday. Almost a third of adults between 18 and 29 regularly use TikTok for news. This is while consumption of news across other social media sites has declined. In just three years, the share of U.S. adults who say they regularly get news from TikTok has more than quadrupled, rising from just 3% in 2020 to 14% in 2023. 
43% of TikTok's U U.S. adult users say they regularly get news on the site, up from 33% who said the same in 2022. The findings come as the Chinese-owned app faces scrutiny over privacy and national security risks. A federal judge ruled on Tuesday that Google, Meta, Snap, and TikTok must face teen addiction claims. The judge rejected efforts by the social media companies to dismiss nationwide litigation that accuses them of enticing and addicting millions of children to their platforms. We're joined now by NTD Business host Don Ma. Don, give us an update about this. Sure. Uh, so it seems like uh, these platforms, uh, Google, Meta, Snap, uh, TikTok, they don't perhaps think that it's entirely their fault. So they're asking for this case you know, to be dismissed. Uh, they're asking the judge uh, to uh, toss out this case. And uh, it seems like the judge uh, went the other way on the decision. But uh, let me just point out some of the arguments that uh, these platforms are citing uh, for why they think it should be tossed out. So First Amendment rights, uh, that, that's, uh, that's a top one, of course. And another one is that they, um, they cited protection under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Uh, so these are a couple of arguments that they made uh, for why they think it should be tossed out, uh, among other reasons. But, you know, like I said, the judge went the other way uh, and she's still going to allow some liability claims to go through uh, for these social media platforms. Um, and I think it potentially could pave the way uh, for hundreds of plaintiffs to actually continue uh, with this case to, you know, bring some uh, liability to some of these uh, online social media platforms that has have had a, such an impact on teens. And Don, for viewers who may not know what Section 230 is, could you give us a quick overview? Yeah, sure. Uh, so Section 230 is actually a very uh, a common uh, defense among uh, social media pla platforms, and I think it could be useful for some of our viewers to understand what this is. So what it says is, is that uh, Section 230 shields uh, online platforms from being treated as the publisher of information. Um, so this is important because uh, what that could do is online platforms can seek protection from legal action uh, related to content moderation decisions. And that's pretty important for some of these uh, legal battles. Um, but it seems like for this case in particular, plaintiffs were uh, seeking broader focus than just uh, third party content. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why the judge, you know, let this uh, case go through. And, you know, the focus now is on uh, what these social media platforms can do for teens. But I think parents as well have a very big responsibility in this whole process. You know, they can uh, do more, I think, to prevent kids from being online for too long. All right. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you. The House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party has unveiled results from its investigations into the illegal California biolab. The lab was found in the small town of Reedley in December last year. The Committee on the CCP's report comes after a friendly subpoena to local officials who came back with thousands of pages of documents and evidence. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the report. 
City officials in Reedley found around a thousand transgenic mice, dangerous chemicals, and thousands of vials with biological substances in them at the illegal California Biolab last year. Biolab workers said the mice were genetically engineered to catch and carry the COVID-19 virus. After nine months of city officials sounding the alarm, the FBI declined to investigate and the CDC refused to act. City officials turned to their local representative, Congressman Jim Costa, for help. Costa told NTD there's some lessons to be learned from the example. We see how uh, easy uh, to uh, transport infectious diseases around the world is. Costa says he thinks the U.S. is very conscious of the challenges of COVID and concerned about how it's spread. And so uh, when they talk about cooperation, uh, clearly uh, business people uh, attempting to bring uh, money from offshore to invest in private labs that particularly could uh, compromise public safety is something that should never, ever be allowed. The Democratic congressman says he's on board to get legislation and protocols in place to provide protection. After Costa convinced the CDC to visit the unlicensed lab, they identified based on labeling alone at least 20 potentially infectious agents, including the coronavirus, HIV, malaria, hepatitis and herpes. But according to the report, the CDC refused to test samples after repeated requests, even when the city offered to pay for it. Chairman of the Select Committee on the CCP, Mike Gallagher, says there needs to be some appropriate tripwires in place. The report says city officials found a freezer labeled Ebola that the CDC did not, with sealed bags inside. The deadly disease has a 25 to 90 percent lethality rate. When asked by email, the CDC said the bags did not merit testing unless labeled Ebola themselves. The public health agency concluded there was no evidence of select agents or toxins and had a court order state and local authorities to destroy all materials. Democratic ranking member Raja Krishnamurthy says he's glad the report has established some facts, but that more tools are needed to stop it from happening in the first place. And that currently anybody, including fugitives, fraudsters, and terrorists, can buy dangerous pathogens online with little vetting. You need an identification, uh, a driver's license to get Sudafed in any lo local pharmacy, but you don't need even that to get Ebola online. The investigation revealed connections between the lab's owner and the CCP that include an ongoing criminal enterprise and large unexplained money transfers from Chinese bank accounts. The individual in question was a criminal with a long criminal record with dubious ties to the PRC. This was a massive problem and we're hoping this will spur productive legislative action going forward to prevent this from happening again. The lab owner, Jai Bei Jesse Zhu, was hit with a $330 million Canadian court judgment for IP theft in 2016. The fugitive was a former corporate officer in the CCP's military civil fusion organization. The committee established the companies that set up the lab are tied to Chinese companies and nationals. Congressman Gallagher says he hopes future hearings will produce a bipartisan agenda for steps Congress can take to prevent anything like the Reilly Biolab from happening again. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And now shifting gears, we have some short headlines from countries in the Asia-Pacific. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin held talks with Indonesia's defense minister in Indonesia today. It happened on the sidelines of a meeting of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. Member nations and representatives from major partners were at the annual meeting. They discussed the conflict in Gaza and ongoing civil strife in Burma, also known as Myanmar. Non-partner countries participating in the talks include the U.S., Russia, China, Australia, New Zealand, and South Korea, while Burma, a member nation, is absent. That's because the military isn't complying with a peace plan. 
In their closed talks the previous day, the bloc's defense chiefs called for an end to the Israel-Hamas war and more humanitarian aid corridors into Gaza. European firms are facing difficulties as they navigate the Chinese regime's cyber laws. The European Chamber of Commerce in China is asking Chinese authorities for clarity about their cross-border data transfer rules. The business lobby group says it needs precise definitions for important data and personal information. These are terms that appear in Chinese data transfer rules. A report by the business chamber said many of China's measures lack specificity and pose serious challenges to European firms operating in China. And inside China, 26 people, will, people were killed in a fire at a coal company's office building today. Another 38 people were injured. This is all according to Chinese state media. The fire broke out in the morning in a top coal-producing province in northern China. It was at a four-story concrete building owned by the coal company. Chinese media reported that rescue personnel evacuated 70 people and took 63 others to a hospital. The fire was under control and rescue work was continuing in the afternoon. The media added that authorities have detained several people believed to be responsible for the fire. The cause of the blaze is still under investigation. A vehicle crashed into a temporary barricade near the Israeli embassy in Tokyo today. Anti-Israeli protesters have been gathering over the war and Japanese police have barricaded the street near the embassy. Japanese media reported that a man was arrested at the scene on suspicion of obstructing official duties. It's unclear whether the embassy was specifically targeted. The crash site is near an intersection about 100 yards from the embassy. Heading to Europe, we have updates from the UK, Germany, Spain and other countries. We start with David Cameron's first working trip abroad as Britain's foreign secretary. The UK's former Prime Minister traveled to Kyiv. He met President Volodymyr Zelensky to underscore London's support for Ukraine. Zelensky was grateful for the gesture, saying the war in Israel took away attention from Ukraine. For security reasons, Ukraine's statement did not say whether, when the meeting happened. Finland says Russia has completed repairs to a Russian Baltic Sea telecom cable. The cable was damaged six weeks ago and about the same time a gas pipeline and other cables were broken. Finnish and Estonian investigators said they suspect a Chinese container vessel caused the damage. That's by dragging its anchor over the seabed. The cable belongs to Russia. It runs from St. Petersburg to Russian enclave of Kaliningrad. At the same time, Russian leaders met with North Korean officials in Pyongyang. They discussed expanding cooperation in economy, science and technology. The two countries did not discuss the details of yesterday's meeting. North Korea and Russia have denied they are engaged in any arms deals. The Turkish parliament is debating whether to grant Sweden's NATO membership approval. The country's foreign affairs commission began discussing the bill today. The commission is expected to endorse the bill. However, it still needs approval by the parliament's general assembly before President Erdogan signs it. Sweden and Finland applied for membership in 2022 after Russia invaded Ukraine. Turkey and Hungary held out on approving their proposals but eventually accepted Finland's bid. Turkey has since demanded that Sweden do more to crack down on what it sees as terrorists 
including the Kurdistan Workers' Party militant group. Germany is investigating the Islamic Center in Hamburg. The center is under suspicion of supporting the terrorist group Hezbollah. In addition to the Hamburg Center, the investigation is also targeting five other groups. They're suspected of being sub-organizations of it. Germany's interior minister today announced the investigation led to searches across the entire country. Since early this morning, a total of 54 properties in seven states have been searched by 800 officers. I am very grateful to the seven states involved for supporting us with large police forces. They confiscated possible evidence, in particular cell phones, computers and documents. Since early this morning, a total of 54 properties in seven states have been searched by 800 officers. I am very grateful to the seven states involved for supporting us with large police forces. They confiscated possible evidence, in particular cell phones, computers and documents. Spain's socialist prime minister just secured another term. The country's lower house of parliament today voted to keep Pedro Sanchez by a wafer-thin margin. This ends a protracted deadlock after an inconclusive general election in July. The Spanish Socialist Workers' Party reached separate deals with a number of regional parties to earn their backing. That includes a contentious agreement that has recently sparked protests across Spain. It grants amnesty for Catalan separatists. Coming up, an all-business-class airline shows off its luxury aircraft at the Dubai Air Show. Lie flat seats and tablets come standard for passengers who want to fly in style. We'll return with that and more after this break. Welcome back. An all-business class airline is showcasing its plane at the Dubai Air Show. And lie flat seats and tablets come standard. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest on flying in style and more. Beyond is no budget airline. The luxury carrier offers business class only. This is uh, Airbus A319 uh, designed for 44 seats. All premium uh, seats, as you can see, they are live flat. Uh, what we are targeting for is the premium leisure passengers. Beyond says it'll have 32 aircraft in five years. The airline is racing to keep up with demand following the pandemic. The carrier offers flights to the Maldives from Munich, Zurich and Riyadh. But what we see on, uh, on a five-year plan and the way the market is developing, it is actually developing to the fact that the people are looking for experiences. So the experienced travel is the one which is going to be the fastest growing in the next five to ten years. Autoflight's Prosperity One prototype is another plane on display. The startup's electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft is expected to have a range of 155 miles. The eVTOL will have a cruise speed of 125 miles per hour and can carry up to five people, including the pilot. Uh, what you see behind us, which is the uh, manned version or electrical air taxi, as some refer to it, uh, is planned to be certified and then further exported. As a third step, we would then uh, move to the European and then U.S. markets. The Dubai Air Show is held every two years. For pilots and aviation enthusiasts, the event is a chance to see the latest aircraft. 
Andrew Thomas, NTD News. SpaceX is giving it another try. The FAA just gave the company permission to launch its Starship system. This is the second time SpaceX will launch the most powerful rocket ever built. An attempt in April ended in the company activating self-destruct mode, with the rocket exploding over the Gulf of Mexico. FAA regulators said yesterday SpaceX has, quote, met all safety, environmental policy and financial responsibility requirements. Monday, SpaceX CEO Elon Musk said the launch could happen as soon as Friday morning. And public notices issued to mariners indicate that might be the case. Pogo sticking, hand skipping and somersaults. Talented people around the globe have been busy breaking Guinness records doing all kinds of things. Take a look at these stunts. Today's Guinness World Records Day, a day to celebrate super skills and the superlative. In the UK, Paul Swift set a new record for the tightest gap driven through by a pickup truck on two wheels. A man in China set a new record for the most consecutive leg-fold twist back summer tults, doing 11 in a row, as you saw. Whoa. And here in America, Henry Cavillus now currently holds eight records after he achieved the highest backflip pogo stick jump. Other record breakers include a team in Japan who skipped on their hands and broke the record for the most consecutive double Dutch style handstand skips for a team of two. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any news tips or feedback, feel free to reach us, reach out to us at news.today at ntd.com. And we'll be back with more stories tomorrow.